Welcome to the Big Kickoff Zoom podcast. Now, unfortunately, we recorded this the other day and the Zoom podcast crashed. The first 10 minutes, Zoom crashed on us and we had an unbelievable conversation on the Premier League and when it was going to open up, etc, etc. You'll never hear that, but the rest of the show, which is about 30 minutes, you definitely will get to hear and we recorded that. So enjoy. Peter, the French League League on has been cancelled and PSG have been named champions. 12 points clear. The French football authorities have three main options when it came to deciding the final league positions. They did not go for freezing the table after 27 games or freezing the table when everyone had played each other once. Instead, they chose points per game system. And the biggest losers were Lyon, who dropped from fifth, which is Europa League to seventh and now the threatening legal action. Uh, is this still the way that you feel is the best way to go about ending leagues if they cannot be played? Yeah, it is, Roy. I'm, I'm in huge favour of this. I always have been. Uh, whether it, not people like it or not, true. Um, as you said before, the, you know, the, there's only three options. You either have a null and void, which... To be honest, I've just, I don't think that favours anybody. It defeats absolutely everybody. It defeats the option, really. You speak to players, you speak to managers, coaches, anybody. It would, to be fair, would be totally against that. The other option, of course, is having it as, as uh, position stand. But I've always been in favour of points per game. And I feel the French have made a wonderful move here. And I think it's the right thing. I can understand Leon being very, very disappointed. I can also understand them being extremely angry as well. And I can see why perhaps they want to start getting lawyers involved, etc. Because, yes, they're the ones who are going to lose out. But when you have a situation, whether it's the French League, uh, the Premier League, it could happen uh, in our league at some point. It may well come down to that. I have a feeling personally, eventually, I think it will be decided on that as such. There's going to be sides that are going to be against it. Having said that, I don't think you're going to be in a position where if you had a null and void season, you'd have a huge amount of sides would be totally and utterly uh, against it. Then you'd start getting lawyers involved in a massive way, remember, because obviously we're talking big bucks in the Premier League as opposed to the French League, which, to be perfectly frank, yes, it's got money, but not to the degree, obviously, as what the Premier League has. So therefore, you are going to get people involved who are going to get upset you will probably start getting legal issues. Yes, I appreciate that. But I just think realistically, points per game is the best way forward. And all right, it's going to upset one club, possibly two, might even be three clubs, Roy, that it's going to upset. But the vast percentage of clubs, and in any situation, how you uh, define finishing a season, surely it's got to be on percentage-wise. If you've got a high percentage of clubs who I feel overall, if you took a poll now, would be massively in favour of points per game, then that's what you go with. You don't go with the least percentage. Surely you've got to go with the, you know, the main top percentage. And I generally feel that's going to be the best way forward. As I said, I can appreciate sides like Leon and people like that. Yeah, all right, you're always going to upset one or two clubs, Roy. I mean, whatever the yeah. situation you use, whether it's points per game, whether it's... <clears throat> null and void whether it's um uh, leave it as how it was stopped you're always going to upset odd amount of clubs you, you, you're never going to be in a position to say 99 percent of clubs or even 100 are going to be absolutely fantastically pleased and happy it, it you know 
it, it ain't going to work. It's as simple as that. It will never, ever work. Somehow, yeah, yeah. you've got to get into some sort of motion and please the percentage. And I generally feel, and I won't change my mind. I know some people think I might, but I will, will never, ever change my mind on this. I've gone on record as saying that I still maintain that is the fairest way, whether or not you're at the top, bottom, middle of the table. That, in my honest opinion, is the way you settle a season. It shows you why this Premier League are so desperate to finish off the season on the pitch, doesn't it? Because they don't need to go into the, they don't want to go into these yeah. legal battles. Uh, we're going to Nathan. Nathan, yeah. UFC. It was announced that the UFC, uh, UFC 249, is going ahead in May. So, Nathan, give us all the details when it is and is it in Dana White's secret lair on his private island? It's not on a private <laughs> island this time around. It's uh, it's being held in an actual venue in Jacksonville, Florida. It was originally okay. scheduled to go ahead in Sao Paulo in Brazil. Well, obviously, with, all, with the global pandemic that's going on, it was scrapped and it was cancelled. Well, thanks to the, the, mayor, the mayor of Florida and the Boxing Commission in Florida, and with Dana White being pretty chummy with Donald Trump, we went ahead. It's going ahead now in Jacksonville uh, on this, this Saturday, the May 9th. Um, what fights can we expect to see? Has anyone dropped out? I mean, yeah. it was on, it wasn't on. You know, it's it a bit disjointed before it, so everyone's okay to go. Uh, there's a couple of changes. It's a pretty good card now, I have to say. The main event is um, Henry Cejudo, who is the bantamweight champion. He's fighting uh, Dominic Cruz. It's his fourth, this is Dominic Cruz's first fight since December 2016. It was originally meant to be Jose Aldo. Those, are, those people that know Conor McGregor and Conor McGregor fights, that was Jose Aldo who McGregor knocked out in 13 seconds. He was originally meant to be in this position, but due to the pandemic, he couldn't travel from Brazil. And it's pretty similar with the common events. The common event is Tony Ferguson versus Justin Gaethje. And it was scheduled to be Tony Ferguson versus Khabib. Again, Conor McGregor fans would know Khabib of the man who choked out Conor McGregor. <laughs> but again, always a reference point. It's, yeah. always, it's, always, <laughs> it's always McGregor. He's involved in every, every circle of MMA at the moment. But, um, but yeah, Khabib, again, couldn't travel. He lives in uh, Russia. He couldn't travel from Russia to the United States. So he got in Justin Gaethje. He was a pretty good fighter. But... This is the fifth, the fifth time now that uh, Tony Ferguson and Khabib got cancelled. So MMA fans are pretty... They're, they're chomping at the bit now to see that fight, but unfortunately it won't go ahead now on, on May 9th. And is it pay-per-view? What way is it working yeah, out? Yeah, pay-per-view. You can get it um, in Ireland and the UK on BT Sports. You can get it on BT Sports Box Office or you can get it on BT Sports mm -hmm. for anybody interested in watching the fight. It should be fun. There's a lot of good fights, even on the prelims. You have uh, Anthony Pettis against uh, Donald Cowboy Cerrone. I hate to say it, but this is Donald Cowboy Cerrone who Conor McGregor for in his previous fight. <laughs> 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 as well, some, fun, some fun fights for people that are interested in MMA. You have uh, Carla Esparza versus uh, Michelle Watson, and plus Francis Agano is on the um, is on the main card. He's always a fun fight. He's a big heavyweight, plenty of knockout power. So even anyone, anybody just wants to see somebody with their blood and guts and a ball, Francis Agano is the man to provide that.
definitely is going to do well. People are desperate for sports, so yeah. I think BT will certainly make a few quid out of that one. Dave, the US women's football team bid for equal pay was dismissed by a court with the judge rejecting the players' claims they were underpaid compared to the men. The lawsuit was filed by 28 of the national team players last year against the US Soccer Federation. Giving its ruling, the court said the women's team has been paid more on both a cumulative and an average per game basis than the men's team over the class period. Have you dug into this at all, Dave? Yeah, it's a bit... It's a bit true, but it's a bit false. It's a bit of a grey area in what they were saying. But it gets tricky. Yeah, it gets tricky because um, the, the US Soccer Federation throw in certain figures into the women's figures that they don't throw into the men's to make it look that way. So it's a little bit true, a little bit false, a little bit in between, all that kind of crack. But long story short, they were looking for $66 million in damages as part of the gender discrimination lawsuit. So roughly... The women have a guaranteed annual salary compared to the men. It's like the men obviously are professional footballers, earn a decent wage. They get a kind of a bit of a, like all national teams, men's national teams, pretty much probably expenses and a bonus structure in relation to qualifying to tournaments and whatever else. So in that sense, yeah, there probably is a bit of a difference and that's where the pay is a bit similar. But their bonuses are a hell of a lot bigger because if they make a major tournament, their tournament brings in a hell of a lot more revenue and all that kind of crap. For example, a good one to go back, the women's uh, national team went back on that and said, well, we, between 2016 and 2018, they brought in actually a million dollars more in revenue um, over the men's national team. But they played, not, not twice as many, but they played far more games than they did. But the men have a higher average attendance. So it's a lot of ebbs and flows of them. But long story short, yeah, they get a guaranteed annual salary and they get medical and debt insurance childcare assistance and then pregnancy and parental leave. So it's one of them things where they agreed that agreement, they signed it for four years. So I think that's where the judge is like, well, if you wanted equal pay, why did you sign this in the first place? Um, yeah. But I think it's more over the bonus structure side of things. But it, if you look at FIFA, the, the Men's World Cup, um, there was $400 million in prize money in 2018, while in the women's, there was only $30 million. Um, Forty million dollars went to the winner in the men's World Cup. Four million went to the women uh, yeah. winners, which ended up was was the US. Now America didn't make it, but if they had of no doubt, their bonus structure would have obliterated the women's side. So it's one of these. I understand what they're getting. Maybe they can put like apparently the men are backing them all the way and they're with them all the way. So maybe they can come up with an agreement the next time to say right. We'll share the revenues and whatever revenues we make, as in our national team make together, we'll split it. It's because it's not FIFA's problem, it's not anyone else's problem. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, the money yeah. that's brought in I, into the US soccer, I think it should I be a case of, right. Yeah, go for it, mate. I have a couple of things, I have a couple of things there. It's just, uh, just doing a little bit of the research on it. It says in fiscal 2018, the US Soccer Federation had a total revenue of $101.4 million. Almost half of that was generated by sponsorships and only a quarter was revenue from games by the national teams. The sponsorship grew nearly 50% between 2014 and 2015 when the men last played in the World Cup and it grew 25% when the women won the World Cup to around 45 million. But what they're saying about the sponsorship is 
is that the sponsorship is basically, it says, however, it can't be directly attributed to the increase to the either team because they sell the sponsorship on a, a, basically a broad spectrum as a, as a bundle. So they sell all the TV rights and, and any sponsorship is men and women's all together. You know what I mean? So yeah. if it was watching games, it's not like here's, here's a bit of money for it to watch the women's and you have to pay this amount for the men's. Everything is put together. So 50% of everything that they're getting in the bundle. So it, yeah. it's very hard to, 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 to make that out. It says that uh, they did say the Washington, uh, the Wall Street Journal says there are signs the U.S. women's equal pay fight has spurred on more marketing deals for the federation. One sign was the record sales of uh, the U.S. women's national team home jersey, which Nike says was the number one soccer jersey men or women's ever to be sold in one season in 2018. So they have a good, you know, they have good claims. But I think it's very hard for them to make out exactly who's making more money. As you said, in the World yeah. Cup, in the World Cup, the US national team can make more, the men's team can make more than every woman's team accumulatively in a women's world. Yeah. So but so so then I think it's very hard to find out. And I've looked at a couple of different things. The Washington Post had a little thing on it, and they were saying it's very hard to, to make out whether they are or they aren't. In some occasions, like you said, they are. In some occasions, they're mm. not. So what, what do they do? How, how did they get around that? Um, the only way I could see it, like, see, they get a wage. They get a yearly wage compared to the guys. Um, so I, I don't know where that's the grey area. But in relation to revenues that are brought in from tournaments and bonuses and sponsorships, it should all be into one pool, maybe. Do you know the way you hear about player pools when they go to World Cups and stuff like that? Maybe there should be a, a group player pool between both the men and the women. Like, the men are making statements that they're with them all the way. Well, then, you're making the more money earning across the world playing professionally. So, it's not as desperate for them to get every dollar that they need. I don't think the women are necessarily desperate for every dollar either, but it's just a case of, well, we're, just as, well, we're more successful than them, so how is it they're still getting sometimes two and three times the, the, the money that they are. Because they were saying it's an average of around $5,000 a game for the women, where it's about $14,000, $15,000 a game for the lads, even though yeah. they didn't even make it to the last World Cup. So unless they maybe pull together themselves and say, right, the fund that comes in for the extras will share it evenly, maybe that's where, they, maybe that's where they'll come together. Because I don't think they're too desperate for massive money because I don't think they'd have agreed the salaries that they're on. I think it's around $100,000 a year just for the national team. They obviously get some salaries from their own clubs as well. So I think they probably understand the, the big, big money of the game. But maybe it's just like the extras that come into the uh, National Federation that maybe should be spread evenly. Because in fairness, it is huge over there. Like whatever about us getting behind the Women's World Cup last year because there was more coverage. They're way ahead in relation to actual bums on seats and actual people watching on TV. It's a lot bigger than it is in Europe. It's huge. So I can understand where they're coming from in that sense. So maybe I think that's maybe where the most realistic thing is. This pool becomes a, a, a general player pool, not men's or women's, and maybe split that evenly. And then if the lads make the World Cup, well, then everyone's quits in. You know what I mean? Yeah. And in fairness, everyone wants equal, equal pay. It doesn't make sense at all. And, and as you said, 
women's football is, is actually bigger over in, in America than, than, than the men's. So, yeah, maybe some sort of flat rate that they have. And if there's an extra bonus through the World Cup funding, they get the extra bonus exactly. through the World Cup. And just to, just to put it into perspective, why FIFA definitely don't want to get anywhere near this is because the revenue from the 2018 World Cup was $6.1 billion. The Women's World Cup last year, only $131 million. Yeah, like yeah. It's, yeah. it's David and Goliath, and it's massive. So, still a, yeah, it's still a growing game, really. And yeah, and exactly, they're, they're behind you. And I think that's what it is as well, Shano. And that's what people need to relax as well a bit. Like, it's getting there, and they will grow. And the more it grows, there will be equal and, and parity across all sports. And yeah, like, I'm all for it, but it's just slowly but surely, and we'll get there, you know. But definitely, it's 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 growing massively. but it's definitely a watch this space. Apparently, they gave them the go ahead to go to trial for two or three of the 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 other kind of aspects of it. I think it was in relation to a bit similar to the Irish women set up uh, facilities and um, chartered flights for the lads, but the women didn't have any of that. I think two percent of fifty matches for the men were on on artificial, while the women it was like seventy or eighty percent were on artificial. Like they're kind of saying, right, you know. There's little things that we want as well. It's not just money. It's kind of like, well, whatever yeah, facilities, yeah, we're all yeah. the same. And listen, that that's a, that's a home run. That that should just happen. That should be the norm. Yeah, let's hope they get it resolved because uh, they're doing the, the women and the men over there are doing uh, great things for football over there. It's kind of huge. So yeah, hopefully they get what they deserve. Peter. I'm going to do a little bit of transfer talk, and there's only one story that you can talk about. It's Kevin De Bruyne. And Manchester City, because this is a uh, this is big. Uh, he asked, would he if the ban was kept in the Champions League, the two-year ban was was still there? Would he look to leave? And he didn't make any qualms about it. He said he'd be looking to go somewhere else. What 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 does this mean for Man City here? Well, if that is the case, and I do go along with him, I think he probably would do. But let's face it, Roy, there'd be a load of clubs queuing up to buy <laughs> his signature, obviously. I mean, he's a world-class player, isn't he? Let's be honest. Probably one of the best in the world, I think, uh, as regard a midfield player, definitely. Um, where does it leave Manchester City? Well, <clears throat> yes. I mean, if you lose a guy like that, who clearly has got to be one of their best players by a country mile, all right, you, you could argue that City will have X amount of money. They could go out and buy somebody as, as good as Kevin De Bruyne. But personally, I've I'd be a little bit unsure about that myself, no. But yeah, I think, it, where does it leave them? Oh, I won't, I won't go as far as to say a mass exodus, because I'm sure that wouldn't happen, no. But at the end of the day, a guy like that leaves. Who's to say then that the likes of Sterling and people like that could be in a position and think, well, if he, if he wants to get away, uh, due to the fact that obviously we can't compete in the Champions League, and let's face it, I know people say in this country... What's a player's dream? Go and win a Premier League. But be honest with you, if you realistically spoke to players, their ultimate dream is to win the Champions League. That's the thing. Yeah. That's what you've got to remember as a club level, yes. So, therefore, that could mean the likes of Sterling and others could be in a position to say, well, how else am I going to get Champions League football? It's as simple as that. Yeah. What's the simple yeah. solution? You go out. Fairly obviously, you're in a big market, yes. You are going to be uh, tracked down, shall we say, by much bigger clubs, even bigger than City. That's what you've got to remember. So, yeah, I mean, I think Manchester City as a club would be worried by uh, 
well, I say paper talk stroke suggestions. Yes, true. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I could see it happening, Roy. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't turn around and say, I know with some sort of transfer talk and paper talk and what you read into, you, you, you know, you can't read too much into it. No. But I think with something like this, I think you could read an awful amount into it. And yeah, uh, I mean, for a Sydney point of view, that would be a massive loss. Especially with uh, yeah, Davis Silva set to leave at the end of the season too. So if you have Davis Silva leaving and then Kevin De Bruyne, all of a sudden that's a, that's a big gap in that Man City uh, midfield. They're two players that he heavily rely on uh, throughout the season. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Now, and he is he is on record saying it. He, he's in an interview. He, he has said this, and that he he said he would con- if it was only reduced to a one year ban, he would consider staying. And but if it was two years, he would leave. So Nathan. If Kevin De Bruyne leaves and Manchester City are not in the Champions League, who would replace him? Because who would want to go to a club who aren't in the Champions League for two years? Uh, especially, like, they, they won't be getting anybody in from, like, a top European team. So you're going to have to look down at someone, maybe a, a Jack Grealish at Aston Villa or a Madison at Leicester. They're the two that came to mind straight away. Now somebody that will be looking for the step up in competition in terms of teams that they're playing for. So I think they'll be the two that spin to mind, but you certainly aren't going to get a, a caliber player similar to Kevin De Bruyne that's going to come into Manchester City when they're not in the Champions League. Uh, th- I'm going to put this one out to you now because this is kind of one of my, uh, my other stories at the end. But I'll start with Dave. Dave, Man United had to open 1,500 seats which are barrier seats at Old Trafford. So basically standing seats. What do you make of it? It's something that you are for or against? Um, I'd be for it because if you look at certain games and I've been over once or twice and even at home, like once the game really kicks off and gets tasty, everyone's up and then they don't sit back down again for ages. So, you know, it's, it's been in Celtic. I, I don't think there's been any issues. Um, they have a couple of thousand in the corner there. You can see it. I don't think there's been any safety issues. As I said, they can pull down the seat and sit down if they want. But obviously, it's there to try and ramp up the atmosphere a bit. It's a bit of best of both worlds, I think. I don't think it's really in the way. There's a small little barrier in front of you to kind of make sure you don't really kind of go over the edge if you're jumping up and down and if you score. But where do you stop, though? That's the only thing. Do you kind of do that around the whole ground? Or do you just have it in a section and leave it at that for the... like? For the foreseeable future, like fifteen hundred is tiny. It's only a drop in the ocean in relation to Old Trafford. So, where's the long-term project for them? Are they going to do a whole, the whole Strafford end and then leave the rest of it as it is? That's where I'd be interested because it sounds like it's for the ultras, if you want to put that name on them. Yeah, yeah. I know. Listen, I'd be all for it because it'll definitely, if you have people like that, and you can see it, I suppose, in Ireland, um, at the back of the uh, at the. The, the, the main end, um, I can't think of the end in, in the Aviva, they have the kind of the ultras or the singing section, and they're just at it the whole game. And if you have, if you increase that to four or five thousand, like you can really drum up a great atmosphere. Because as much as we all know how big United are, there is certain games, like like a lot of the big clubs at the top now, they're very much a tourist attraction now. And some of the games, it can be pretty dead. So if they're there kind of going at it all day long, like you see with Palace and Burnley and a few of these great grounds uh, where they're just the fans are at it all the way through. I'd be all for it and I don't see why not and if you can, keep, if you can get the atmosphere going again in Old Trafford what's the, what's the harm definitely yeah Peter it, when when you look at like Dave said there's a lot more tourists coming into these stadiums but it's not only that 
there's a lot more families. It used to be just men who went to these games and maybe they brought their sons. But now football is a, a family game. Is this something that's maybe needed to just bring that bit of atmosphere back? Yeah, I, I, I go along with Dave's point, actually, more than anything. Um, you know, Dave quite rightly said that most people, once the excitement gets going, are going to end up spending most of the time actually standing as opposed to, uh, you know, sitting. And of course, anybody will tell you in any ground whatsoever, you're always going to get better atmosphere when you stand as opposed to when you when you sit down as well, actually. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think it is a situation where, as you said, if you get a lot more families involved, etc., as well, I think a lot of them would, would join in with the same situation as well. I mean, I, I, I go along also with Dave's point when it comes to, I think the problem would be as well is, you know, you're talking about that level of seating for Manchester United, which is, like Dave said, a you know, drop in the ocean. I mean, compared to the capacity crowd they've got there, whether or not you could do it at other grounds, obviously that remains to be seen. No, but big clubs like that, yes, you could do it. But, of course, how many seats do you put? Uh, how many, you know, areas do you leave for people purely just as a standing area only, as opposed to sitting down more than anything? But I do go along with the point, I think it would create, a really good atmosphere, probably a better atmosphere. And I'm sure a lot of people in grounds at the moment, uh, I probably won't mention too many of them because I'll upset a few fans, um, that happens to be in grounds where they say, well, it's just like a complete silence, no matter what the situation is, because we have to keep sitting down virtually all the time. Otherwise, we get stewards telling us, you know, you must sit down, you mustn't stand up. So I think they probably welcome something like that, yeah, to be honest with you, because I think it would create a much better atmosphere, yeah. People who unfortunately are listening to this on audio will never get to see the visual of the Bond villain style petting <laughs> of the cat that you are doing <laughs> as you're speaking. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I must apologise with uh, Moy. He's our cat and he just gets in everywhere. And the minute he hears people speaking, Unfortunately, I can't always guarantee what position he's going to be in, so I do apologise <laughs> yeah. about that. <laughs> we'll, leave, we'll, we'll leave that one there. League of Ireland, obviously, there's, there's still standing places in, in, in League of Ireland, so is that where you would frequent? It's where I spend a lot of my Friday nights, right? yeah, it is. And I have to say, um, it, it does make an atmosphere, and it's, it's a reason actually why, especially as a teenager, it piqued my interest. Like, I've been going to Pats games since 2003. So I've been going with, you know, family members and stuff. But when I was a teenager and you could see the standing section and the sitting section, it's what entices uh, young people into games, especially at a local football level. It's what entices yeah. young people down to the games. That you know you're going to get an atmosphere. That you know that it's going to be sitting sent in and a bit of banter. It's, and it's... Well, like for a lot of young people, they don't really want to go down and be sitting beside their parents watching the football. They want to go down with their mates and stand up and sing and chant and create an atmosphere. And I think that's, that's what it does, really. Yeah. Dave, do you want to finish off with a story of your own? Um, yeah, the only, only interest I want to know is um, sport and neutral venues, and it could be a little bit more easier to kind of keep people at bay. But the Tour de France has been penciled in now again for the 29th of August. And Froome, uh, Chris Froome came out today and said, yeah, of course, behind closed doors, it should be straightforward enough. But he says, how the hell are you going to police the whole country of France, like the whole, every road up and down the country, trying to stop yeah. people from coming? So he just, 
listen, he said, yeah, of course you can do it. It's easy, but how the hell is this going to work? And he, he's just nicely saying it without saying it. He said, this isn't going to happen. But I just no, thought it was interesting. Hard. It's very hard to see it. You see the nutters running up after them on the, on the mountain. <laughs> <laughs> and all the different outfits up the mountains. <laughs> I think it might, it might be a year to miss it. Peter, any stories up your sleeve? Yeah, the um, it's a bit light-hearted, really. Why not? Sort of end on a light-hearted moment. Um, I know there's virtually no sport being played around the world, but there is in Germany at the moment. There's a tennis tournament. Uh, it's a behind-closed-doors event. I don't know if you've heard about this. It's a TPES tournament. Basically, um, it is a way of getting some sport being played. The interesting factor is it, it's got, it goes on for about three days. I think it finishes tomorrow, actually. Um, the interesting point is, obviously, there isn't any of the real big guys playing. No, um, I think the highest ranked player is Dustin Brand, the American. He's ranked oh, something yeah. like 76 currently at the moment. But it, it is behind uh, being played behind closed doors. The one point that I really like the fact was, I mean, I watched some of this, actually. That it's been streamed as well, which is quite fun, actually. Um, and, yes, obviously, there's no atmosphere. There's nothing. There's, no, there's virtually nobody there. There's no umpire. Uh, there's no ball boys or ball girls. There's nobody like that there, and there's no there's no officials. There's no backroom staff. It's just literally, you know, two guys playing tennis. Like, and the wonderful <laughs> thing is, obviously, if they hit the ball into the net, of course, there's no ball boys, is there? Or there's no ball girls. So one of them has got to run and get the ball back. Now, if you've ever seen prof, and these are professional guys. They're not amateurs, okay? If you've ever seen professional tennis players, <laughs> the effort that they try to go to is quite funny, actually, more than anything. And the other <laughs> point is, as well, uh, at the end of the match, of course, they're not allowed to have handshakes. <laughs> no, seriously, no handshakes. So what they do is, whoever wins, bums up. <laughs> it's brilliant. You've got to watch it, seriously. Absolutely brilliant. Who, uh, who, calls, who calls the shots out if they go over the line? Well, they both do, yeah. So you have to trust. <laughs> well, I say yeah, I mean, you've got to trust each other, yeah, admittedly. <laughs> but, I mean, and they are, I mean, they're obviously, I must emphasize, they're not playing for big money. No, it's not, you know, it's just for a few thousand dollars, which to these guys is nothing really, I know. But, you know, it, it's a way of getting some sport and yeah. it can be played. Admittedly, the German police apparently on the opening night had to go in and make sure everything was above board and you know, for health and safety reasons, and they had uh, uh, hand sanitary and all sorts of stuff there, you know, and um, so it, it's being done, it's not being done underboard, it's completely genuine, but as I say, the, the thing that really amused me is <laughs> when, <laughs> you know, normally ball boys and ball girls are very active, as you probably appreciate, you know, yeah. they have to be part yeah. of a tennis match, but in this case, no, 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 if your ball goes somewhere, if it goes in the stand, I'm afraid you've got to go and get it. You know, there's no <laughs> issue looking at me or a ball boy or a ball girl. You have to go and get it. And that is the back. faces of some of them is brilliant, honestly. <laughs> back, to street, back to street tennis. Huh? That's what we want. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Nathan, what have you got to finish? Come here. I'm going to finish off like Peter on a bit of a lighthearted story, if you don't mind. <laughs> Uh, yeah. I know I, I tend to bring it a lot back to League of Ireland, but um, does their oh, same Pats fan? Uh, I know, Dave, and it's Pats as well, <laughs> you'll be glad to know. It's not even Bowers this time, it's Pats. But uh, there's a Pats fan out there, and um, he set up a GoFundMe account at the start of the week. It's just to raise funds for the club, you know, it's during these struggling times. 
His original goal was to get uh, two grants by uh, the 1st of May. And now at the moment, he's at the region, uh, I think it's over 14,500 uh, euros. He's at the raising wow. to, to go into St. Pat's. So that's going to all go towards the, um, the youth structure of St. Pat's. That it, it, it genuinely is one of the best in the country. They've, they've picked up a lot of league titles, underage league titles and league and cup wins last season. So it's a great effort by the, uh, the fans call it uh, Kane Menden. I'll just a little shout out to him. Like he's, it really is a great effort. Like by, if that was any fan, I'd give it a mention. But yeah, he really did yeah, go, above, yeah. go above and beyond there now. So uh, and I think he had something like for every 10 euro he raised, he was going to walk 10k. So yeah. So we ha- he, I hope yeah, he has. Yeah. A, I hope he has a good pair of walking shoes on him because he's out doing a uh, 50k a day now <laughs> until he reaches his limit. So that's 25 laps of your estate. Yeah. Because <laughs> he can only go two kilometers out. He's, yeah, Jesus. he's, he's trying to do it and he's doing it in the 2K uh, radius. So <laughs> <laughs> he must just be just wandering around his feet the whole day. Like, uh, know, like, uh, that was good. Yeah. There's been some really good stories of yeah. people you know, putting themselves out, and, and that's good to hear. Yeah, yeah and of course. Was... Sorry, boy. Yeah, of course, the money, 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 it's a, money's going into helping the club, and that's, that's just brilliant. Yeah, uh, I'm going to finish on this one because I heard about this last week, didn't get it in on last week's one, and it kind of developed this week. This is the last one, we've got four minutes left. Uh, Mike Tyson's Cannabis Company, first of all, that just blows my mind, uh, is in talks with Everton to be their next short sponsor. And last week, they were in t- talks with Barcelona. To become the stadium sponsor. Anyone shed any light on this? <laughs> no. Uh, no. <laughs> In a nutshell, no. <laughs> I'm still getting my head around that Mike Tyson owns a cannabis company. This is the like, tiger. There he has. Listen, I just I briefly, <laughs> I, I briefly said something today. That was the Everton part. Last week it was the the Barcelona thing. I I did see a, a conference call on Sky Sports with the fella who was doing with him. He looks as dodgy as hell. So I'm going to dig that up, and next week I'll tell you all about Mike Tyson's cannabis company. Do you even know the name of the company, Roy? Mike Tyson. No. Cannabis. That's uh, yeah, but you'd have to sell it with Mike Tyson's name yeah. in it, wouldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> did you see? Did you see his the Instagram video of him training? Oh yeah, that's one scary fifty-year-old man, isn't it? Good that God, is um, oh he mean, isn't he mean? And there's talk about dangerous. I seen a comment under on the, on the video saying that uh, if I walked if I walked in to my bedroom and Mike Tyson was in bed, my wife would fuck him in. And I thought that was about. <laughs> <laughs> Someone was coming underneath the video. Uh, brilliant. Right, we might leave it there. <laughs> <laughs> you can put it on the list. David Bogle, thank you so much for your time. Nathan Dial, bigkickoff.com. Loads of great articles in there. Take a look at those, please. Peter Moore, again, bombarding the bigkickoff.com with everything he's got and some great articles as well. Lads, thanks very much and we'll chat to you again next week. See you, lads. Cheers, gents. Thank you.